0: Good morning. Got a little concern as Scott opened the service this morning. He thought maybe that this was the time of the year that we think about job rate, um, salary increases. He was telling you how super you were. I was just beginning to wonder about that. Somebody needs to let him know we do that in the fall. So just uh, anyway. No, you are a super group of folks. We love and appreciate you very much. Hey, had a great weekend with the uh, mints. Uh, ministry conference led uh, by Johnny Hunt, We did it by simulcast. Um, we had about 50 guys here, was that about right, on Sunday evening. I mean, it was a Friday evening, yesterday morning, and had a great experience with that. You heard some great preaching. Um, and I just want to say, say thanks to some folks. David Peake, is our men's ministry director, is uh, responsible behind the scenes and getting all that lined up for us. There's some other folks that helped him out, and I don't know who all those folks are, but I appreciate each and every one. But then I also want to say thanks to those folks that uh, helped us out in the kitchen as we had meals, because we're Baptists, so we had to do that. And uh, But Cat Clark and uh, Pam Kojer uh, were helping us out. Uh, Paula Russell and uh, Carol Hines, and also Betty Morris helped out the uh, with stuff yesterday morning I appreciate them so very much Dan Savage uh, had a team here and they were fixing breakfast for us yesterday morning uh, he I got to be a part of that in that he got here on uh, Saturday morning and somebody had locked the back door so you couldn't get in with the code so I'm I got a telephone call about 430 at the joy of driving up here just to open the door and go back. Marilyn said, "What's going on?" And I got a telephone call, and I told her. She says, "Oh, that poor dear." And I said, "That poor dear, this poor dear, <laughs> he's got something to do. I'm just going to go down there and open the door." It just didn't make any sense. But anyway, no, we had a great time uh, with that. Hey, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter five, find verse ten or nine rather. And I hope you get your listening guide as we think about some things together. We've been talking about focus. We've been talking about God's vision, and, and whenever God gives us a 2020 vision, it enables us to focus, and we ought to be focusing on the things that matter. Well, this morning, I, I want you to ask you to focus with me on the mission that God has for us. Because the mission matters. Uh, Paul tells us that it's not God's desire, uh, or that God desires that all men would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And Peter tells us that God does not desire that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So, so some things that are on God's heart, that will be on our hearts as well. So I want you to notice this very first statement. That every Christ follower's mission is to persuade people to be reconciled to God. Our mission as followers of Jesus Christ, every one of us in this room has a mission. And that mission is clear. To persuade other people to be reconciled to God through faith. In Jesus Christ. From the very beginning. God's intention was for everyone. To live in a personal relationship with him. A relationship of love. A relationship of faith. A relationship of obedience. And a relationship of of blessing. That if we lived in that right relationship with God. God would bless our lives. And surely he does. There's definitely no doubt about that. The problem is. We didn't like to live according to God's plan and God's purposes. We had our other plans. The Bible says that's called sin. Whenever I decide to do things my way instead of God's way, when I start to go in my direction instead of God's direction, when I don't fulfill the plans that God has for my life, there's only one word for it. It's called sin. And sin causes us to be hostile toward God. You may tell me today, I've never once shook my fist in God's face and been hostile. But the attitude of our hearts is one of rebellion and hostility. And that leads to our estrangement and alienation from God. I want you to hear me. God being God had every right to destroy his creation, to wipe us off the face of the earth and start all over again. You know, kind of of like, if that's the way you want to be, good. You just bear the consequences of that. And Here it is. You can hear that choice. But God being love had a better way. Someone once said, if I was God and man were as evil as he he is now, uh, I I would wipe this world clean. Then the person said, but if I did that, would I be God? That's a good question. Because God being God is also love. And out of love, he reached out to us instead to the person of Jesus Christ to reconcile us to himself. And now we, who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And now we have been called by God to be his spokesmen and to be his representatives, encouraging others that are still alienated from God to to be reconciled to God. There in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, in verse 20, I want you to stand with me, please, because I want us to say together this one verse, because this one verse identifies who we are as those that have been reconciled, those that have been redeemed, those that have been saved. This is who we are, and this is what we're to be about. So let's say this together. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us and implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning to hear loud and clear your call upon our lives as those who've been saved, redeemed, reconciled. That, Father, we would understand our calling and we would focus on the mission you've given us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Throughout the entirety of the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul is seeking to defend his ministry and his motives for his ministry. He had his critics. Some were false teachers. Some were individuals that were jealous of the influence that Paul exercised in the lives of the believers in Corinth. And so they criticized, they, they cast doubt, they sought to discredit him, his ministry, and his motives for all that he did. So Paul takes time to defend and to detail his ministry for us, and also his motives, and especially right here in chapter 5 of 2 second, of second Corinthians. As Paul went on to explain that his mission was to persuade all those whom he encountered to be reconciled to God. But he also explained what motivated him. I want you to hear me. As a follower of Jesus Christ, our mission is no different. God's called us to do the very same thing, to plead, to urge, to employ, implore rather, others who are separated from God, who are alienated from God, estranged from God, to be reconciled to God. Our mission is to make disciples. I understand that. That's what the Great Commission is, is that we're to go in and make disciples. But please hear me, it begins When we take people who are far from God, separated from God, alienated from God, and we help them come to know what it means to be reconciled to God through a saving faith relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the mission of our church, and this is our mission as individual Christ followers, so that wherever we go, everyone we encounter, our ultimate goal in those relationships is to help them come into that reconciled relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's talk about those things, though, that are going to motivate us to do it. So this morning I want us to focus on the mission and and why we ought to be focused on the mission. Number one, I'm focused on the mission, and I'm putting this in the first person so that when you get your notes and you go back and look at your notes, that you'll read those in first person. You won't be saying, well, Mike's doing this, or you do this. You'll be reading this for yourself. I, I am motivated to focus on the mission because I am convinced that all people are accountable to God. I am convinced that all people are accountable to God. Follow along in your Bibles in chapter 5, beginning with verse 9. Paul writes, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. Every person who's ever been born is accountable to God and will be held accountable to God. We came from God. God is ultimately the source of our life. If you are here this morning, you came from God. If you chose not to come here this morning, you still came from God. If you are breathing, you came from God. God is the source of your life. That's why you're here. And guess what? You're going to return to God one day. You're going to go back to Him and give an accounting of your life before Him, and your eternity is going to be determined at that moment of time of judgment. And I want you to hear me. On that day, No one's opinion is going to matter, save one. And that's God's assessment of who you are. Paul says here in chapter uh, 5, there beginning in verse 10, that we're all going to have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, you need to hear me. As I'm reading this, as I understand this, when he says we, he's talking about all who are Christ followers, all who've already been reconciled to God. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There's another judgment. That's the great white throne judgment. It's found in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 and following. But that is the judgment for all those who have not received Christ. And from that place, they are sentenced to eternity in the lake that burns with fire, in hell itself, eternally separated from God. But right now, in this specific context, Paul's talking to you and me as those that have been reconciled to God, if indeed we are those that have been reconciled to God through our faith in Jesus Christ, that we're Mm -hmm. going to stand before him on that day. And on that day, he's going to ask us to give an account for what we have done with the new life, with the relationship he's given us, the gift he's given us, what we've done with the mission that he's called us to. Have we been faithful? Have we fully executed the mission that God's called us to be about? And we're going to stand before him Paul says that because of that, we know the terror of the Lord or the fear of the Lord. Now that word in the Greek can mean anywhere from from fright and panic all the way to just simply awe and reverence. Um, Best way I can describe it is to talk to you about my relationship with my father when I was growing up. I loved my father dearly. As a little boy, I idolized my father. I wanted to spend time with my dad. I wanted to be around him. I did not... Dread being in my father's presence unless <laughs> unless there's those days that I did some things that I knew that he told me I was not supposed to do. Or there's some things he told me to do that I didn't get around to doing. Yeah, he would hold me accountable for that, and I didn't look forward to those times. Or it, there's sometimes he never talked to me about this, but, but I knew that what I had done would not please him. And I did not look forward to the time of reckoning, the time of accountability that I would give to my father. There's a fear of God that keeps you and I from doing things we know we should not do. And, and if we're wise, we'll, you know, what, what is it? Solomon even said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we're wise, you know, it'll keep us straight. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it all out. We'll, we'll do that. But there's something even more. You see, the greatest thing I feared in my relationship with my father was disappointing him. Oh, I didn't look forward to, to judgment, to punishment when those, when those times came. But if I ever knew that I just disappointed my dad, that crushed me more than if I got a spanking or if I got put on restriction. Just know that I, that I, that I disappointed him. As a follower of Jesus, as one who's been born again through his blood that was shed for me on Calvary's cross, one who's been redeemed into a relationship with God all because of the sacrifice of Christ. I just want to hear one thing on the day that I stand before him at at the judgment seat. How about you? And that one thing I want to hear is, well done. And the one thing I don't want to hear is him just look at me. In First Corinthians, I mean, yeah, First Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about judgment, about our, our, us being judged and the things that we've done. And some of our things will survive the judgment and other things will be burned up because they're worthless. And he says that there are going to be some folks that are going to stand before Jesus on that day and they're going to have, they're going to be there. They weren't saved by the skin of their teeth. They were saved by the blood of the Lamb. They were saved by the grace of God. They weren't saved by their works. They were saved by God's grace and mercy but they're going to have absolutely nothing to show for the life that they had. See, I don't fear him telling me I I don't know you because I I, I know the day that that I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I've experienced that. I, I have no doubts about that. My sins have already been judged on the cross of Calvary. I don't deal with that today. But to stand before him one day and have absolutely nothing to show for the grace and mercy that he poured out on my life and to stand before him that day and him simply say, "Well, at least you made it. it," would break my heart. And there's a lot of folks that they're content. They're content that that's all I need to hear. Whew. Saved. And yet they have nothing to show. You say, "Well, what, what are you so worried about your rewards for?" Because you know what we're going to do with those rewards, aren't don't you? I didn't. I didn't do those things to get rewards. I didn't do those things so I might have rewards in heaven, other than that I might take those rewards and lay them at the feet of Jesus. They were done for him. They were done for his glory. To get there and not be able to have anything to offer him. Can you imagine? That's something to be concerned about. There's another judgment we ought to be concerned about. If we're not saved, if we're not redeemed, this is one you definitely need to be concerned about. Because this is the judgment you're going to stand before. It's the great white throne judgment. But everyone here that is redeemed, we know at least one person, somebody that's a, that that we know we care about we love we at least we say we do they may be a next door neighbor, they may be a work associate, maybe somebody living in our own home, it may be an extended family member, someone we know that doesn't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, somebody that's not reconciled to God because their sins have separated them from God, and they're going to die and spend eternity in hell unless you do something about it, which is urge them, persuade them to be reconciled to God as God would use you as his instrument to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's something to be concerned about. Does that not bother you? That you know somebody that if they died this moment, they would spend eternity separated from God. Now let me ask you this. If you believe that, you're going to do something about it. And if you don't do anything about it, do you really believe that people without Jesus Christ are going to die and spend eternity in hell? Because I believe that I'm going to stand before Christ and give an account of my life and give an account of how I've executed my my, my mission. Because I believe that those without Christ will be judged and sentenced to an eternity separated from God. My goal, my aim is to please my Lord and Savior by seeking to persuade as many as I possibly can to be reconciled to God. I'm motivated to be focused on the mission because I'm convinced that all people are going to be uh, accountable to God. Secondly, I'm motivated to focus on the mission because I'm compelled by the love of Christ. Look at me in verse 14. Paul writes and says, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. That if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul says, We are compelled by the love of Christ. Now, there's different ways to interpret that. One of those is to say, well, you know, Paul's talking about Christ's love for us. And then another one says, no, what Paul's talking about is our love for Christ. And if you go to the Greek, you'll discover it really can be interpreted either way until you look at the context. And when you go on to the rest of the context, it makes it very clear that Paul's talking about the love that Christ has for us. That that love that he has for us ought to compel us. Now, the reality is, our love from him should compel us as well. We love him, though, why? Because he first loved us. And, And we're commanded that we're to love the Lord our God, which means Christ Jesus himself as well as God the Father, because God the Father and God the Son are the one and the same, we're to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And if we love him, what? We're going to be obedient to him. And we're going to fulfill the mission that that he has given us. But Paul's talking here about the love that Christ has shown us. That's what ought to motivate us. He says his love for me compels me to love him and prove my love for him by seeking to please him through my obedience to the mission he's given me. And that will be for every one of us. Why? Because Paul says, because he died, we die. We who put our faith and trust in him, we died with him on the cross. The old person that we were died, was crucified with Jesus Christ. We no longer live, but now Christ lives in us. But at the same time, he says, and he, he died so that we might live. And if we live, now we're to live for him. He becomes our reason, our purpose for reason, uh, reason for living because of the love that he's poured out on us. In 1858, Frances Habergel, who happens to be uh, one of the composers of uh, at least two of the hymns in our hymn book. She's four total. Well, thank you. Somebody went and counted afterwards. That's good to know, Shirley. Thank you. (laughs) But she was in 1958. She went with her father to Germany. Uh, While they were in Germany, they were visiting a, a pastor friend of the family, and she was in that house, and she saw a painting of the crucifixion on the wall, and down below it were these words, I did this for thee. What hast thou done for me? Well, that motivated her to write a poem. When she got finished with it, she didn't like it, and so she threw it into the fireplace. But for some reason, it didn't get burnt. And it was later retrieved and given back to her. And her father encouraged her to publish it. And she did. And I'm so glad she did because of that one. We have this, these, these words in our hymn book. I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed, that thou mightst ransom me, quickened from the dead. I gave, I gave my life for thee. What hast thou given for me? Out of love, out of the love, that Christ, out of love, Christ died for me. Out of love, will I live for Him? Will I faithfully carry out His mission? That's the question each and every one needs to ask themselves. If you've been reconciled, if you've been redeemed, if you've been saved, look what He's done for you. Does that love compel you to live for Him and to be about His purposes and the mission that He's given us? I am motivated to focus on the mission because I am compelled by the love of Christ. I am also motivated to be focused on the mission because I'm called to be an agent of reconciliation. Look in verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Uh, Our mission is to persuade people to be reconciled to God. To persuade means we seek to convince them by argument, not by arguing, but by argument. In other words, we build our case, much like an attorney would go into the courtroom and he builds his case. We ought to have our case already. Why do you believe in Jesus Christ? What has Christ done for you? What does God's word say about you? You you know all those things, and those become a part of your argument as you begin to build your case, to seek to convince that individual they need to be reconciled to God. Our mission is based on God's redemptive mission of reconciliation, which he accomplished for us in Jesus Christ. Paul said, God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now the text can just as easily say, that God was in Christ reconciling us unto Himself, and it can also say that God, that God was reconciling the world to Himself through Christ. And if you go back and read in verse eighteen and nineteen, He says both those things because they're both true. One focuses on Jesus as the vehicle of of, of reconciliation. The other one sp- speaks about the incarnation as the way in which God Himself has entered into our world so that He might reconcile us to Himself. God was physically in the flesh and blood body of Jesus Christ. That's good theology. That's called the incarnation. That's true. That's why we celebrate Christmas. But why did he do that? So he might reconcile us to himself. That's God's mission. What's amazing is this. God did not need to be reconciled to us. God had done nothing wrong. God did not offend and bring the offense into the relationship that caused the break in the relationship. And God doesn't need you or me anyway, does he? We needed to be reconciled to God. The offenses were ours. I talked about this last week. It only would make sense that you and I would be the ones that ought to be seeking the reconciliation and doing the work of reconciliation. The problem is we can't. People try to do it all the time. It's the reason why men are so caught up in religion and religiosity instead of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's only by grace that we can be saved, not of works. We can't do that. That's not our job. Our job is to receive what God has already offered us. And He's offered us a right relationship with Himself. He's removed all the sin, He's removed all the offense. The thing that caused the separation, God himself has dealt with, though you and I should have, but we couldn't, so he did it for us. That's the gospel message, isn't it? And now having been reconciled, Paul says, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We talk a lot about you discovering your ministry and the life of the church. And I will tell you one ministry that everybody in this church who is a born-again believer, so everyone who's been reconciled to God, your ministry is that of reconciliation. As you seek to persuade others to be reconciled to God. And he's given us the word of reconciliation, Paul says in these verses as well. What is that ver- that word? The word is just simply God himself saying, accept what my son has already done for you to remove the offense that separates you from me. Just accept what my son has done for you, and that's going to be enough. And it's always going to be enough. Therefore, having gone from being alienated ourselves to being reconciled, we are now agents of reconciliation. And so I am motivated to be focused on the mission because I'm called to be an agent of reconciliation. But also I am commissioned as an ambassador for Christ. Look in verses 20 and 21. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, Be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, Paul writes, we are ambassadors for Christ. Who's we? All of us who've been reconciled and were ambassadors. But what does Paul mean by being an ambassador? Well, it's really interesting, if you go back to look at that culture in which Paul lived, what the ambassador's responsibility was. And the responsibility was twofold. Number one, the ambassador represented the one that had sent him, and he spoke for the one who had sent him. In other words, no different than an ambassador today. Stop and think about it. A president appoints an ambassador? And that ambassador does what? He represents the United States and he speaks for the United States, right? Wrong. It's wrong. (laughs) Who does he speak for? The president of the United States, the one that appointed him. In 1977, Andrew Young found this out the hard way. Jimmy Carter appointed him as ambassador to the United Nations, but he had a tendency to want to speak his own mind. On the record, Ambassadors don't do that. And so he spoke some things that was an embarrassment to the Carter administration. He wasn't supposed to do that. He's supposed to be speaking what the Carter administration was saying. You go on the record that way. And then he did some things behind the scenes that became a little bit of an embarrassment that for, the, for the president and created some problems between the United States and, and Israel because of some things that he was doing. And you can argue all day long that he should have been doing those things, but not if the president had not assigned him to do that. He had gotten beyond... So in 1997, guess what happened? He got fired. Rightfully so. Regardless of whether you liked what he did and said, that makes no difference. His job was to speak for who? The president. The one by whose prerogative he has been assigned that responsibility. So therefore, Paul tells me and tells you, That is, those that have been reconciled, now we are ambassadors for Christ. Well, what does that mean? That means wherever you and I go, we represent Jesus Christ. That's the reason why it's so important how we behave. Because we represent Jesus Christ. But it also means that when we speak, we better be sure that we're speaking for Jesus Christ. Now, all of a sudden, some things that Paul writes to the the Ephesians in chapter 4 of Ephesians makes sense. Remember when he said, let no corrupt word proceed from your mouth? Have you heard some individuals, the kind of language they use? Individuals that, goodness gracious, this this really burdens me. I, I knew a pastor. I was embarrassed to be around him when he spoke. The language was awful. It was not a reflection of Jesus Christ. Jesus would not use that kind of language. Now understand why Paul says, let no corrupt words come from your mouth, but also be sure that what you speak is going to be what? Helpful. It's going to be edifying. It's going to be uplifting and building up. Why? Because that's what God does when he speaks to us and calls us to himself to reconcile us into that relationship with himself. Paul's calling us to to be ambassadors, not not to attempt to bring about reconciliation. We can't do anything to bring about reconciliation. Jesus has already done that. Our message is just real simple. We say to the person that's alienated, be reconciled to God. The word be reconciled is one word in the Greek, and it's in the passive voice. You know what that means? It means that the person that we're talking to isn't going to do anything except for just simply... Let it happen. By faith, accept it. By faith, receive it and allow, appropriate it to your own life. God said, my son has done everything necessary for you, that you might be reconciled to me. And so your only responsibility is to do what? Accept it. Receive it. And when you accept it and receive it, you believe it, you trust it, guess what? You're now a new creation. You once were alienated from God, but now you're reconciled to God. You once were an enemy, but now you're a friend. You once were a stranger, now you're a member of the family. And it's all because of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. How? He tells us, For he that is God made him, that is Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How's he doing? <laughs> God says let's make a deal you've got something that that I want and I got something that you want and we think oh what do we have that God wants he says I want your sin do what yeah because I see I want to take it off of you and in place of it I want to give you my son's righteousness now let me just say to you the writer of Hebrew of, of um, of the proverb, Solomon talks about the guy that that he's he's bickering and he's bartering in the marketplace, and 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 he when he strikes the deal with you, he says to you, "Oh, you took such so advantage of me!" And then as soon as you walk away, he laughs and goes, "Did I get a deal?" That's how you and I ought to feel. God says, "Give me your sin; I'm gonna give you my son's righteousness," so that now you don't. Just simply become dressed in his righteousness. You become his righteousness. Because Jesus did not just carry your sin. He became your sin. He carried the punishment that you should have carried. And the fierce wrath of God against sin fell upon him. And that's how he reconciles us to himself that's the message we have to share with the world and people would look and say why on earth would God do that because of love the love that compels us so that we might be ambassadors for Christ there's so much here in these verses beginning with verse 9 always at the end of the chapter and there's no way I could do justice on a single message this morning but but, but just this morning I want you to focus with me on on the mission and this morning I'm praying that you're going to come to this conclusion for yourself because I have been reconciled to God because I'm convinced that people need the Lord because Christ loved me and gave himself for me. And because I am his ambassador and agent of reconciliation, I am focused on my mission to persuade others to be reconciled to God. I have a mission. You have a mission just one question it's a question each of us must ask ourselves will I be faithful to my mission let's pray